How's everybody doing? Good. Good to see you. Nice sunny day. If you want, stand up. We'll pray and we'll sing a song together. Praise God. Thank you, Father, for this uh, this place to gather. I thank you for this beautiful morning to wake up to. I just thank you for everybody here, uh, giving their time this week to come here to praise you, to hear your word. So just um, lift up this morning to you. Everybody comes in here with something in their hearts, uh, thinking about something, dealing with something. Uh, so whatever is weighing on us today, I pray that we can put that aside. And I know that you're always with us. Uh, and you will get us through it. So help us lean into you more, to rely on your strength more. Uh, just, uh, again, praise you for this time. We lift Leonard up to you as he as he brings your word. And just uh, give us ears to hear it. Amen. Jesus, I surrender. 
clicked on here. Um, we're going to change it up just a little bit today, but not too dra dramatically. Uh, obviously, we have had um, a very interesting several months, and there's always a new chapter that is happening in, um, in, in the COVID-19 pandemic story. And of course, one of the things that we've experienced as a new development is um, a, a decree by the governor to wear a mask, which uh, for some people, it's like if that's what we need to do, then that's what we need to do, no question. Uh, but as a pastor, I know that not everybody strongly holds that position. There are other people who will say, I'm a little skeptical, the jury's still out, um, but I'll do it because uh, it might help other people. And then there are other people pastorally that I know who are just defiant, who would say that who, who is the governor to tell the church what to do? And that's a little bit more pointed. And all of those things are realities that I have to, um, I have to navigate in my role as a pastor and the elders and the leaders. And uh, in some cases... Uh, there have been people who've told other churches that if they have to wear a mask, they're quitting the church. So um, for me, uh, that obviously is an alarm bell. Uh, but there are other alarm bells that go off during a time like this when, when the circle of the state and the circle of the church commingle. Now, as elders, we haven't had time to process all of this. And it, it's definitely going to have to be part of our conversation but I have one goal here in saying what I'm getting ready to say, and that is, uh, in light of these new developments, we want our church to stay healthy, we want our people to stay unified, and we want our leaders to lead well. Now, in my role as a leader in this kind of provisional moment, I, I'm just going to make a statement for those who are against wearing the mask altogether. Um, the, the reason why I consent to wearing a mask isn't because the, the, the government is telling me to do it. It is because I am concerned about the, the vulnerable members of the population that might be impacted by something that we still don't clearly understand. This is my position personally, okay? And I'll tell you why I'm, I'm going that direction. Because uh, in the Constitution, in the First Amendment, uh, we read these words um, because uh, this really is why we can gather and why we are here as a nation. We read these words. So I, I don't want our people to think that we're blindly following everything that we hear from people that say we need to do this. In the background of our church in this country, is a foundational statement that most people don't even have to pay attention to. But there are, there are people in, in the church who are always aware of this, of this boundary marker. And in the First Amendment, it writes, Congress shall make no law respecting an establishment of religion. That is, things that people do when they gather in a religious gathering Congress cannot make a law that says, when you gather, this is what you're supposed to do. Or prohibiting the free exercise thereof, or abridging the freedom of speech, or of the press, or of the right of the people peaceably to assemble, and to petition the government for a redress of grievances. Now, that may just sound like a lot of legal talk for many of you, and some of you may have already just clicked off of of your online viewing, but please uh, just bear with me. The boundary between what the state can do and what we can do is a critical boundary that most of the time we don't have to worry about. But in the history of the church, when persecutions start to happen, it's because that boundary starts to get blurred. And for me, the, the warning bell uh, starts whenever whenever a decree is made that impacts what we're supposed to do here. Now, I, I, I want to support our governor. I agree with our governor. Um, I also know that there is a pandemic going on that we don't understand, and we're in a spirit of cooperation with that. 
And so the reason why I'm doing what I'm doing here and wearing the mask when I'm, when I'm in your presence is because um, uh, I'm concerned about the health and well-being of you and your loved ones. Um, and in, the, in, in, in what the, the governor has written, I think it's, it's important that if you're online or you're curious, you just have to go to, to Governor DeWine's website and you just click on um, the director's order regarding COVID-19 and, um, and what we need to do. And it will tell you everything that's spelled out. <clears throat> and in this directive, it is a way of saying that um, those who gather need to wear a mask. But he also lists a whole bunch of exemptions that are in there. And one of them is a religious person officiating. Um, so what I'm doing up here is in compliance with what that says. Uh, so I'm, I'm trying to be very careful about being cooperative with the government. Um, but I'm not as concerned about the state of Ohio as I am with alarm bells that are going off in California and in Nevada. If you get on the on the uh, on the um, um, website for the Supreme Court, they made not a ruling but an opinion about whether or not uh, people could assemble in California under certain conditions. And that opinion is on the government website under opinions and opinions related to rulings. And in May and in July, there are, there's an opinion about um, uh, the uh, United Pentecostal Church in California and there's an opinion about Calvary Church in Nevada. And they're just short reads, and if you're interested, you should read those. And why am I going through all of this? Is because they're saying that if, in the first case, um, that, that you can't gather, and essentially even gather in your homes for Bible study. And in the second case, they're saying in Nevada that you can go to a casino and it can be filled halfway full, and that can be thousands of people. But if you gather in a church, um, it, it can only be a, a, a crowd of, of like 25 people. And people are taking issue with that. Now, some of you may be saying, you're wasting my time on this. But all I'm trying to do is be preemptive. And understanding of where some people are at with being told what to wear or what not to wear because this is a real issue for them, and for me as well, and for our elders, and for our leadership. As it stands, I hope that it's not a threat. I hope that it doesn't develop into something. But as a leader, um, the right to assemble is a God-given right. And as far as I can tell, we are enabled to exercise that right but whenever they say that you can't exercise that right, that's just where I'll draw a line in the sand. Um, but I'm not trying to be confrontational here. I'm just saying that it's a boundary that I feel that it's important to affirm. I hope I haven't confused anybody or everybody on this. But the bottom line is I just want you to be aware that it's on our radar, that we're not being just blindly following whatever we're told. We're, we're following Jesus first, and then we're trying to do what's for the well-being of the community second, because they're, they are obviously very important things to consider. So I don't know if that's helpful or not, but what I'd like to do is, because the unity of our church is my primary concern, leading well for you guys is my utmost priority and keeping us centered in the things of the Lord, I feel, is our highest obligation here and responsibility. Even though we're free to assemble and we're free to do so many things, we want to honor the Lord however we need to. So I'm willing to talk about that in another space. Uh, but for now, I, I, I felt burdened by the Lord to share what I know. And we'll leave it at that. So what I'd like to do here 
is I know whenever you came in, many of you got communion cups and you received them uh, uh, or got them at the table. And if you didn't, please uh, just take a moment and go grab one if you like. But I'd like to move into communion because communion is a unity meal. It is a way of saying that around this table, we're all not only equal, but we are one. And I love that. And I think it's the beginning place for any conversation, whether it is going into a sermon or whether it's talking about church and state issues. It is a way of saying, first and foremost, we are in a covenant with Christ. And that binds us and defines us. And I don't know if people who are just quitting their church recognize that they are in a covenant with a group of people. And like any marriage or any arrangement, you want to responsibly steward that relationship. And, and that's what we're trying to do. So if you have your communion uh, with you, um, we're going to have a word of prayer and then uh, open the whole package first. And then if you can just kind of set your communion cup off to the side a little bit, then, then with that wrapping, peel the, peel the wafer out of there and, uh, and we'll take it together um, as, uh, as we begin this, uh, this journey of moving into the unknown with the Lord together. Father, we thank you that as we gather, we gather in your name first and foremost. We thank you for governing authorities who are designed to keep chaos from happening socially and civilly. We thank you for governing authorities who also think about the health and the well-being of those who are governed. And we think about our responsibility to play a role in in, 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 in furthering those values. But we also remember, Lord, that in all things, uh, we want to derive how we look, how we think, how we feel, how we behave, first and foremost from you, the source of our very lives, the covenant maker, the one whom as we take this loaf and this cup and we consume it, is in us and we in you. Help us to be one as a body, one in purpose, and in, in, um, in, in opinions. Help us to be charitable towards one another as um, we seek to navigate uh, a very narrow road to um, keep the truth alive and grace um, active in all we do. We thank you, Father, as we take this loaf and this cup that you have made us one in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, now that we've established the ground rules uh, for what we're doing, uh, let's, let's move on. And let's move into the things that I hope are beneficial for you and I as believers and how it is that God can help our relationships to be healthy. We're doing a message series uh, that is entitled Virtually Reality. And they're centered on the, on, the, on the parables of Jesus because he taught a lot of things that I think had a lot to do with things that are heavy on your mind and mine. For example, how many of you have been so offended by somebody that you just can't forgive them or you have a hard time forgiving them? I would say pretty much everybody. I mean, 
It, and, and it can be a person, it can be a, 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 a company. Uh, and whenever somebody does something wrong, our first instinct is to retaliate or to pile on or to get back or to get even. It reminds me of a story before we uh, get into our, our passage of Scripture in Matthew chapter 18, uh, verses 21 through 35. Uh, the story I want to share with you is... Um, it's an interesting one because it was a man who was bitten by a dog that he later discovered to be rabid. Okay, I don't know if you remember rabies being a, a, a perennial concern <clears throat> because in the case of this man, when he was rushed to the hospital and tests were made, it was clear that he had contracted rabies. And at the time, medical science had no answer to rabies. And so the doctor's only response to him was, well, you better, get, you better just get your affairs in order because you're pretty close to the end. And so as the guy was um, uh, going through this whole just un upendedness of having his world rock so dramatically so quickly, doctor said, um, we're going to do everything we can to make you comfortable. And as the dying man set back in shock. He opened his eyes and he said to the doctor, please get me a pen and paper right now, of which the doctor uh, indicated to the nurse, uh, can you go get this man a, a, some, some, a pen and paper so that we can help him uh, get his things in order in the last moments of his life? And as she was doing that, the doctor said, you know, I'm really glad to see that you're working on your will. And he said, this ain't no will, doc. This is a list of all the people that I'm going to bite before I die. <laughs> now, that's pretty harsh, isn't it? Uh, because all the guy could think about was that list of people that had done him wrong and how he was going to have the last word. Have you ever felt that? If you have, welcome to the human race. We have all had those moments, haven't we, when we have looked at what has happened and we have said, yeah, I, I've got some unkind thoughts in my head about you right now. And when Jesus spoke, he spoke to specific things that a lot of us experience, if not all of us, to varying degrees, and he kind of would call it out. And in the book of Matthew, there are like five great sections of that book. And this section of chapter 18 really is sort of a, a central focus on the issue of forgiveness. And so I'm going to read the scripture for you. And as you hear the word spoken, and if you'd like to read it on, online, please do, Matthew 18, 21 through 51. Uh, we read these verses. It says, Then Peter came up and said to him, Lord, how often will my brother sin, how, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? As many as seven times? And Jesus said to him, I do not say to you seven times, but 77 times. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. When he began to settle, one, uh, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. And since he could not pay, his master ordered him to be sold with his wife and children. And let's see, did we jump... Uh, did, are we on the right thread here? Can you back up a script, uh, the, the uh, slide one time, uh, Connor? Yeah, okay, we're right. Yeah, you're right, okay. Um, and since he could not pay, his master ordered him to be sold with his wife and children and all that he had and payment to be made. So the servant fell on his knees imploring him, have patience with him, with me, and I will pay you everything. And out of pity for him, the master of that servant released him and forgave him the debt. But when that same servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii, and seizing him, he began to choke him, saying, pay what you owe. So his fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him, 
Have patience with me and I will pay you. He refused and went and put him in prison until he should pay the debt. When his fellow servants saw what had taken place, they were greatly distressed. And they went and reported to their master all that had taken place. Then his master summoned him and said to him, You wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. And, you sh- and should not you have had mercy on your fellow servant as I have mercy on you? And in anger, his master delivered him to be to the jailers until he should pay all his debt. So also my heavenly father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. Well, there's a lot more in that chapter about forgiveness, but that's what we're going to focus on right now. And if, you, and if you thought the dying man was a little bit harsh, uh, maybe you can relate more to uh, what President Eisenhower said about forgiveness. This was his comment. I make it a practice to avoid hating anyone. If someone has been guilty of despicable actions, especially toward me, I try to forget him. I used to follow a practice, somewhat contrived, I admit, to write the man's name on a scrap of paper, drop it into, the, into my bottom drawer, and say to myself, that finishes the incident. As far as I'm concerned, I'm done with that person. That drawer became, over the years, a sort of private wastebasket for crumpled up spite and discarded personalities. Besides, it seemed to be effective and helped me avoid harboring useless dark feelings. Basically, if you've ever heard of the word cancel culture, that is sort of the beginning of cancel culture. That is a way of saying I've canceled you as a human being. I'm not interested in you anymore, and as far as I'm concerned, I'm not going to have anything ever to do with you again. Now, I don't know about you, but there's something about that that just doesn't seem to have the sense of the Lord's imprint upon it. But there's another part of it that says, yeah, I kind of get it. And matter of fact, I'm kind of doing it right now with a few people in my world. And so what I want to do for the next probably, hopefully, 20, 25 minutes is just navigate this territory of forgiveness and unforgiveness and how it affects you and I. And I'm going to put the notes of all of these points um, on, the, uh, on, on the comments part, or the notes part, of the YouTube video that, that we'll be showing. So if you want to go back and you want to see it, you don't have to take notes. But I, I shared some of this in my lunch with Leonard last Thursday, and I uh, really got a good response from it. People said it was helpful. I don't know if anybody else in, in the room was, was with me in that, but if you were, uh, maybe you'll get it. So let's just look at forgiveness for a second from Jesus' standpoint, because Jesus, Peter's asking the question, what is forgiveness and how many times should I do it? Because he was taught by the rabbis in that day that you should only forgive a person three times and then done. Makes sense, doesn't it? Peter, feeling feeling kind of generous, said, I'm going to forgive him seven times. How's that sound, Lord? And the Lord says, no, I think if you forgive somebody, you should do it seven times, 77 times. But you're like, Lord, where did you get that number from? Well, actually, so much in the New Testament is spelled out in the Old Testament in good ways and ways that perhaps are contrary. And one of them was a fellow named Lamech who in the Old Testament near the beginning in the book of Genesis said these words. He, he had, he, somebody had done him wrong And so recorded in Scripture are his feelings about what happened. And he said these words in Genesis 4, 23 and 24. I have killed a man for wounding me, a young man for injuring me. If Cain is avenged seven times, then Lamech 77 times. So it's all about vengeance, and it's all about revenge, according to Lamech. And what Jesus says is, The reason why that's recorded in the scripture isn't to underscore how God feels about it and how we should feel about it. It's recorded to show you how bad the state of affairs are 
about how well people get along or don't get along. And so Jesus is starting to move into a place where he says, this is what forgiveness isn't. And if you, if you were in Jesus' day and you heard that seven times 77, you'd know, oh, yeah, that's what Lamech said because they, they knew the Bible inside and out uh, back then. Um, but I just want to kind of go through a list on a ground-level way of how this plays in and out of your life and mine. To forgive somebody is not condoning what they did. And I, I know that sometimes we feel like that if we do forgive somebody, then it's a way of conceding, oh, you know what, it's okay. And a lot of times we just want to hold out until, well, until they come around and they see the thing that they've done that has offended us and we want to feel somewhat um, uh, validated by the fact that, well, they finally saw the truth. And, you know, that works in my marriage with my wife. She's told me a number of times, now you finally get it. And oftentimes she's right. But whenever we go to that space and we forgive somebody like Jesus says to forgive them, for starters, it's not condoning what they did. There's something else at work that has a lot more to do with you than it has to do with them. Sometimes when you forgive somebody, it's like just taking all of the tension and pressure out of it. And if you're bitter and you have something inside of you that's welled up towards that person and all you can think about is the tunnel vision you have regarding what that person did to you, forgiving them and just letting it go actually frees you up to take a little bit broader look, a realistic look of what has happened here. And what do we need to do about it? So secondly, um, if you're waiting for them to admit or confess or apologize for what they did, <laughs> that day may never come. It may never come. And inside of you is something bitter that's just sort of continuing to grow into, well, into something dark, which is the very reason why Jesus came, isn't it? to be light in the darkness. And then thirdly, forgiving someone is not eliminating the consequences or preventing justice. Now, have you ever forgiven somebody and you're like, this is actually something that has involved maybe you breaking the law in the thing that you've done against me or perhaps you have um, uh, relationally crossed a boundary done something pretty harsh, and the impact of that is lingering on and on and on in your memory. Or perhaps it is just financial consequences. Forgiveness isn't about undoing the consequences of that because sometimes when things happen, there is a legal consequence. And that's really about the person and the law. Sometimes there is a relational consequence because if somebody abuses you or violates you or does something that, that, that really crosses a line in, in a way that you know is relationally toxic, does it have a consequence? Do you just automatically begin to trust that person like it never happened before? Or is there a lingering effect? And I think the reality is we have to recognize that there is, and we have to try to do something about it. So forgiveness does have a consequence, but sometimes those who are being forgiven recognize that they're at the mercy of those forces. And fourthly, you, for, you forgiving them does not mean you stand in the way of them receiving or having to face the consequence of what they did. Um. It's something different. I know people that have forgiven somebody that's abused them, that has violated them, that has done something that continues to be a relationally toxic gesture. And they just keep saying, the Lord says, forgive them 77 times. I'm going to keep forgiving them. Notwithstanding the fact that this is their pattern. This is the way that they carry on 
and you should forgive them, but you also have to draw your boundaries, and you have to say, these are the relational boundaries that define how it is that we are healthy or unhealthy. An example of that would be if, if, if in any kind of relational agreement, there should always be give and take. There should always be free will. There should always be a sense of respect for the other person. There should always be actually the fruit of that being an upbuilding of one another. And when that's not happening, it probably means a, a boundary is being violated. Somebody is trying to tell you what to do a little more than they have the right to. Some people are trying to control other people or manipulate other people in ways that violate the relationship. And you know what they may or may not be. And as you experience them, you know them by their fruit. If my relationship with this person, if us as a church together, covenanting together, um, is good, it means that good fruit's going to start coming out of it. If it's not good and it's not healthy, then it means bad fruit's going to start to happen, and we need to step back and say, what's causing this? And most of the time, it's just boundary issues. Who's responsible for what? Who is, um, uh, you know, what, what is a person's role? What is a person's obligation in the relationship? Um, and when Jesus is telling this, and I'm kind of describing it in the abstract, he uses a story of a guy who, well, he knew that he violated the boundaries of the relationship by going into an agreement saying, I will pay you back this amount of money under these conditions at the appropriate time and in the appropriate way. And he violated all those rules of that agreement and the master had every right in the world to say, because you didn't honor your word, there's a consequence. There's going to be an effect that's going to occur because you've broken trust. And I may never trust you again. Would that master give that guy those resources again, only to see him do this all over? And what Jesus is trying to show is something that I'm going to get at near the end of the sermon and it has to do with how we keep score in our relationships, in our faith, with God and God with us. How scorekeeping happens. Because a lot of people have in the back of their mind a scoreboard that says, that person has committed a number of offenses against me. Or how about this? Um, going to the um, fifth point, forgiving is not forgetting what happened. Have you ever heard the saying, forgive and forget? Have you ever had something that, some, that happened to you that you could not forget? In a good relationship, you can sometimes do something that will make the other person upset. I would say, in any relationship, it's just a matter of time, to be honest with you. It's just a matter of time before you do something that gets you sideways with somebody that you care about. But because it's a healthy relationship, they recognize that your heart's intent is for the best interest of the person there. Have you ever written an email to somebody and you're like, man, I wish I hadn't written that? Because uh, you get a phone call and the person's upset, and they might say, why did you do that? Why did you say that? And your whole point is, I, I didn't mean to say it in a way that you received it, and obviously it's upset you, and maybe I should have just made a phone call to begin with so I wouldn't be misunderstood. You ever had that happen? I would say it's just one of those things that have to do with everyday life that we have to take into consideration. And have you ever made that phone call and said, I am so sorry that that's the way you received it. It wasn't my intent. And because that person on the other side of the email knew you and was in a good relationship with you, and they were honestly shocked because you wrote what you did, or at least <laughs> they misunderstood what you said in a way that 
made them feel like, this doesn't make sense. And then after that happened, the person said, oh, that's what you meant. Well, I don't think anything of it. Let's just move on. Because the relationship is healthy, it's forgotten. Don't think, I'll, I'll never address it again. It's not even going to be in my head anymore. When it's healthy, it's easy to forget, isn't it? But sometimes we don't even forgive ourselves. Because we'll bring it up again. I, are you sure you're okay? Because I feel so bad. And so forgiveness is not only about forgiving other people, it's also learning to forgive yourself in the process of making mistakes. Then there's another kind of forgiveness where you can't forget and you should not forget. And that's the kind of forgiveness that says um, an event happened and it fractured or broke something inside of me. And it's because it was such a big breach of trust. And clearly not a misunderstanding. That it's changed the dynamic of the relationship. Because trust is broken. Can you forget that? Probably not. Should you forget that? Probably not until trust and trustworthiness and health come back into play. And that's really the goal of all of this. And the thing that makes that begin to happen is forgiveness, but recognizing this is a pattern. And you're foolish to just keep going into that space over and over with that person that's doing so much damage. You need to dis disengage. You need to forgive because sometimes when we don't forgive, we're saying, I'm locking that person away in a prison like the bottom drawer of Eisenhower's uh, desk. And I'm not going to let him ever forget it. But the reality is probably the only person that's in prison is yourself. probably won't forget so you have to manage how you relate to that memory and you have to say what that tells me is I need to forgive that person but trust is a whole nother issue trust and forgiveness are not the same thing okay forgiveness finally is not necessarily reconciliation I know all many of you are thinking I'm thinking of a situation right now of a person that you're talking about and I'm not sure how this plays out or how this how this factors in or how this applies sometimes two people that are healthy will cross paths in a way that creates anger and offense and the goal is always reconciliation when one person is healthy and another person isn't the goal is always reconciliation. But now you have two people having to make up their mind how important their relationship is and how much they want to change their behavior to make it healthy. And a lot of counselors, that's what, that's what they do and that's what I've done, is try to help people to get into a space where they're healthy with the people around them. But there are some events that happen where on this earth... There will just be a parting of the ways. It's not ideal, but sometimes it's just too much. And the Apostle Paul, whenever he got into a disagreement with one of his co-workers, the book of Acts describes as it got pretty heated. And there was a difference of opinion about what they should be doing. And they couldn't come to terms on it. So the scripture says they parted ways. It wasn't so much that they didn't agree on the fact that they were supposed to work for God's kingdom. It was the fact that personality-wise and interest-wise and passion-wise, it just wasn't going to work anymore. But I know that they worked hard to make it work prior to that happening. And you know what? God blessed it. 
<laughs> two different paths led to two different whole missionary expansions. God finds a way to work it together for good. But ultimately, as you read these scriptures, especially beginning with Matthew 18, the goal is always reconciliation. Always be diligent about keeping people together. And most of the time, differences can be worked through. Agreements can be made about what we share together as important. Occasionally, it doesn't happen. And so forgiveness isn't saying reconciliation must occur. It is saying, I forgive you. But we may have to go in different directions. And God's grace is sufficient. So here we are. I've gone a little bit maybe heavy on that. And you're thinking, man, I wish I didn't come to church today. Uh, but uh, so let me just begin to move us to where we're at in all of this. So who do I need to forgive? So maybe you're saying, I don't need to forgive anybody. Well, here's an indicator. If you need to forgive somebody, uh, here's a sign. That is, you have a hard time saying that person's name. I know in divorce this, this happens, and in places where people no longer associate, they will dename the person. Instead of saying their name is um, Jane, they just say, my ex. Or instead of saying that person um, uh, who was your coworker that you had a good friendship with, now they're just, oh yeah, that was a person who used to work at that place that I used to work at. If you're doing that, that probably means there's something there. And if you haven't worked through it, maybe God is saying, perhaps you got to spend a little bit of time here and try to work it out. If when their name comes up and you get triggered, probably means there's something going on there. Something, or, or how about this? You hear so-and-so is doing really good, and all you can do is get angry. You shouldn't get angry, <laughs> but you probably felt that. That probably means there's an issue there. You need to forgive them. Um, if you find that there is somebody that just is close to your heart or this broken, you just can't get over it. In my office, I have a water cooler, and most of the time I just unplug it because I'm trying to focus on getting stuff done, and it's bzzz, making all this noise and stuff, and I'm like, holy cow, in the background of my world is a water cooler just going bzzz, and it just practically drives me insane. If there is a person in your world that is in the background of your life that's kind of like that droning water cooler, you probably need to spend some time with the Lord figuring out how to forgive that person so they don't... You, do you know the old saying, I'm not going to let you rent space in my head? Um, that, that's, that's saying that, um, you know, I, 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 I don't want to constantly have that person on my mind, everything that I do, everywhere I go, I get triggered by the memory of them somehow. You see, Jesus isn't just talking about they offended you, you need to forgive them. He's also talking about your heart and mine. Something bad happened, and you have to figure out how you're going to deal with it as well. And that's why forgiveness is so, so critical for our lives together. And then, if as you're moving into the future and you're trying to do something, maybe, maybe you shared uh, a work experience, perhaps a marriage, perhaps just a project with somebody, and you're wanting to do something similar down the road, and every time you do, you just keep thinking about that person. That may be an indicator that you need to forgive them. Because what you're doing to yourself is something that grieves God just as much as what you're thinking about the other person. Forgiveness is so, so therapeutic and so important to living life in a messy world 
where we don't always agree and we don't always do the right thing, if you don't have forgiveness, it doesn't work. And the last thing that I would say, like the man who wanted to make the list to bite his friends who were former friends who are now his enemies, if you think about somebody and you wish they were dead, that probably means you need to forgive them. But what is forgiveness? Let's just end it here. It's the very embodiment of who God is and how he's postured towards you and I. You see, in Jesus' day, there was the law, and people said, if I violate the law, then God is no longer uh, looking upon me with his favor. And those are the rules, and that's the scoreboard. And so you're going to count how many times you violated the law versus how many times you've kept the law. And hopefully on the scoreboard, there aren't too many points against you. And hopefully, Lord, Lord willing, when I die, I have, I, I'm good enough to get in because on the scoreboard, you know how many points are there. You ever have that feeling? God came into the world in the form of Jesus to tell us a simple truth that we read about in Luke 15 when we read the prodigal son, which should actually be how, titled better, how the father forgives. Or how about another subtitle? There is no scoreboard. There is none. You've messed up. You're coming back. Let's move forward. There is no scoreboard. That's what the cross is all about. It says once and for all a lot of things about atonement and many other features, but it really is God's way of saying, I just want to tell you, there is no scoreboard because I will always forgive you. But we confuse that with, yeah, but will you, all, will you, will you trust me? Will you um, take away the, the consequences of this? God says, I can't. Because I made the world in such a way that if you do break the law, it starts to break you. And we all know what that means, don't we? We make bad choices, our bad choices make us. God says, I, I can't change that, but I can begin to interrupt that process of what is happening in your life as it's destroying you by forgiving you. Because at, my, at the center of my very being, I want to reconcile with you, and it starts with forgiveness. And when God said that, there was no scoreboard. It upset a lot of people because their whole faith was premised on Keeping score, keeping score with the person who said an unkind thing to me, keeping score with myself, because I've just made so many mistakes. I'm not a perfect person like I want to be so badly. I'm my own worst critic. Keeping score with whether or not you're going to get into heaven. The free gift of God's grace through Jesus Christ is eternal life. There is no scoreboard. It's a gift. A gift. How many gifts have you guys received that were the result of something that you did to get the gift? I'll tell you, if you got a gift under those conditions, it's not a gift. It is just a transaction. Maybe a sales pitch. Maybe some way of somebody saying, I give you this gift, however, with God, it's like, I look at the whole world, I look at all of creation, I look at what's going on in the dysfunctionality of the moment, I look at your own relationships, your own family, your own life, your own heart, it's pretty messed up. There's probably nothing you can do to make it right, except to begin by surrendering your life to me and starting over and being transformed from that person who kept a list in the scoreboard to a person who says 
I'm free. I am free of the burden of my sin. I am free of the, uh, not the consequence, of the effect that it has on my thinking. I am free to now have the mind of Christ and move into those spaces that I couldn't before. Ah, it's so good and it's so rich. If you want to forgive, there's no better place to begin than to look at the cross in all of its blood-stained brokenness and take from that. That's just how much God cares about me. That's just how much God's forgiven me. How much more can I forgive other people because of that? It sets us up for a posture of forgiveness. Now, I'm just going to end it right here. I have so much on this because I need to learn this so badly because I'm not the best at forgiving people. And I've certainly done a lot of things to make people angry. But my whole intent has always been, what does the Lord call me to do? And when I respond to that faithfully, it's amazing how blessed your life can be despite everything you've done. I don't know what you've done. I don't know if you felt like if I come in here, lightning bolts are going to come out of the ceiling. I just want to assure you, there's no scoreboard. The gift was already given before the scoreboard was even made. God is that good. Would you bow with me? Father, there is so much about forgiveness that defines how we look at life. There's so much about trust and responsibility and consequences and reconciliation that are part of it. But we know that it starts with forgiveness with the hope that all of those things can be built on that foundation. Father, I pray for everyone here who needs forgiveness. I just ask that as they ask for it from you, they take confidence that your word promises that if we confess our sins, we confess those things that we've done that offend you, offend other people, you are faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us of all of it. Thank you, Father. And I pray for those of us in the room who maybe need to work on that this week to think about that person that we're stuck with in our head, in our heart, in our spirit. And I just ask you to help us to first just forgive them, knowing that trust and reconciliation and consequence, they'll work out in their own way in time we need to forgive as you have forgiven us and as you patiently work all those out in our lives. Father, I just pray that the things I've said have been in alignment with you. I pray that you bless our people as we leave. I pray for all of our people online who are trying to sort this out as well, that you be with them and that you give them your grace and peace and mercy as you give those who have come here today. And as we close, Father, just help us to recognize that we have been given freedom, we have been given rights, and we have been given responsibilities. May each of those aspects of our lives first be centered in you, and then they work themselves out however they may. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, it is 9.59. And we're just going to dismiss you guys today. If you have any feedback on what I've shared, any questions, anything I can clarify, anything I can help you out pastorally, it's why I'm here. If you are, have concerns about how we respond to what is going on with COVID, we're here to help. We're here to talk about it. We're just trying to do the Lord's work in a messy situation trusting that he's going to give us wisdom. All right, so may God's grace and peace be with you all.